Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to follow Paul's words in Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony in Christ through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We continue our study of the small catechism with the third article of the creed, the Holy Spirit. It also says sanctification. I believe this is one, one of the most critical parts of the small catechism to understand in our world today. Maybe it's always been that way, but especially today, because when we see the word spirit, we can think of going to a basketball game. We have spirit, yes, we do. You have, we have spirit, how about you? Or other parts, we'll think of it maybe as a power, like a force on Star Wars, or even a feeling. All of this messes up the understanding of the triune God and the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? Today, we will hear it and we'll hear it clearly from these words that sums up all of scripture as we confess together. So dust off that blue or maroon Christ-filled little book and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. KFUO at KFUO.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ in the Small Catechism, we welcome the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Richard, welcome to Concord Matters. Hey, Brady, it's good to hear from you. So, Pastor, uh, you know, we've been together on Thy Strong Word here on KFUO. For you, our listeners on KFUO, you've you've heard him a number of times study the scriptures with us. But this is our first time on Concord Matters. So, Pastor, tell us about yourself, your family and the work of the saints at St. Paul's. Yeah, well, first of all, it's good to good to be here and good to be able to discuss this topic. Uh, It's a great, great part of the uh, Book of Concord, part of the. Uh, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, as far as here in Minot, North Dakota, uh, up Northland, uh, about, oh, Minot's uh, probably about an hour from Canada, and been up here in about four, been up here about four and a half years in Minot, and um, my wife is a teacher out in Surrey, North Dakota. We live in actually in a small town about seven miles east of Minot, and a uh, small little tiny community town, uh, uh, bedroom community, if you will. Uh, three kids, my son is 15, my daughter's 13 and my other daughter is seven and so right now we are in the full man just just go 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 we have football we have volleyball we have uh just back into the school schedule and so forth and so we're i don't know what do they say how do they say it? We're, we're burning the candle at both ends if you will <laughs> so yeah so one day it's like man I, I'm, I'm going to the football game south of us and my wife's going to volleyball and back and forth and uh, it's a great time though it's 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 very busy uh but good uh, St. Paul's is downtown, downtown here in Minot, uh, wonderful saints here in Minot, and um, just real privilege just to be able to preach and teach here, and again, amidst a, a group of saints who just want the Word of God, which is just awesome to see. And you know, that brings up two things. First of all, you could say, burn, baby, burn. Is that is that a right saying for that, like you're saying? There's a lot of, <laughs> yes. a lot of things going on, and that relates to the Holy Spirit today, maybe. That's probably a stretch. Um, and so the next next question I have is, uh, I can't remember if I asked you this on Thy Strong Word, but it's very important to know this. Are you an NDSU or a UND fan? 
Well, you know, my my family's an NDSU fan, so I, typical with most North Dakotans, we we're, we're tend to be more NDSU for football, for the Bison. And so we went to a lot of Bison game once upon a time when we lived down in the Fargo area. Uh, but then we poll for UND when it comes to hockey. So we kind of split the uprights. But if, if I were to choose, I would say NDSU. But I ended up going to Minot State once upon a time. And so we were... My goal was to go to NDSU. Then my wife had to go to UND for a degree. And then both of those didn't work out. So we ended up in uh, Minot State. So it's not the Bison. Um, and it's actually not the Fighting Hawks, but it's the Beavers here in Minot. And so I always jokingly oh, say to right. the Bison, you know, the Beaver will, will gnaw your legs out from underneath the uh, Bison. So <laughs> go Beavers, right? <laughs> so <laughs> The Beaver might not win, but it sure is fun to watch. Right. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, Pastor, we're in the small catechism. Reminder to our listeners, we are studying from... Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation from Concordia Publishing House, the 200, excuse me, 2017 version. And as we look at this, we're on page 17, and it is really fascinating. I want to ask you this, Pastor. We've been asking most of our pastors that we've had on the program that the small catechism can be very misunderstood, let alone the Holy Spirit, but starting the small catechism. On page 16, right below says the word creed, the Apostles' Creed. It says, as a head of the family, should teach it in a simple way to his household. Now, this is the foundational words of Luther. And so what, I mean, that was 2000 years ago. Maybe Luther is a little bit outdated or why is it still important for us today? Yeah, very good question. You know, when it comes to the small catechism, we can think of it as, uh, I've, I've heard it said before, that's the layman's Bible. And uh, I, I think what's so awesome about it is just so incredibly simply uh, laid forward for us to comprehend. And so the intent and the use, you know, oftentimes we see the catechism to be uh, something that's used in confirmation class at the church. And I know for myself growing up too, it was like, you got the catechism, you used it for a couple of years, you got confirmed, and then it went on the shelf. Uh while that's definitely good to study it in the church, more specifically, this catechism should be in the home and should be used uh, as a part of the family. Uh, but not only that, but just the, the the aspect of it being taught in a simple way. And, and that's really what is the thrust of the catechism. It's just, it's so very straightforward and simple. And, and oftentimes you can read the catechism from, you know, maybe from a, uh, uh, you know, just approach it and just kind of take a step back and you read it and say, boy, boy, that's simple. And you can lose the depth of it. Um, so the simplicity can maybe make us sometimes uh, read over it too quickly without slowing down and seeing exactly what's being stated. So simple does mm -hmm. not mean fluffy. Simple does not mean light. Simple does not mean no substance. Simple means straightforward. And there's definitely substance in this catechism. And that's where it, it is so powerful because well first of all we've been so blessed with with some of the teachers we've had um so far and i know we'll bless today again and 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 dr uh, excuse me uh district president terry forkey was on last week and he talked about the second article of the creed and he, he spoke very clearly about how we need to confess in this world because people have lost their confession of faith that they don't even know what they believe. They kind of just keep talking and they don't really have anything to say, which I found when somebody has less to say, the words are so much more powerful, which I think really connects to this. You know, talking about God doesn't require us to talk for an hour. What it means is we confess simply what we know. And I think that's what the Apostles' Creed and the small catechism gives to us. Any thoughts on 
on simplicity. I love how you said it. Would you say again, simplicity doesn't mean... Yeah, I would say simplicity does not equal lack of substance, right? I mean, uh, just Mm -hmm. because something's Mm -hmm. simple or something, you know, oftentimes we equate, you know, shortness to, you know, lightness. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that. You can have something be short and pithy and powerful. Um, Two things on that. I would say that, you know, when it comes to writing a sermon, I try to have shorter sermons just for the sake of attention span and also for, you know, respecting of time. But it's easy to write a long sermon. It's actually more difficult to write a short sermon. And I mean, it it sounds crazy Mm -hmm. to say that, but it's easy to speak a lot of words, but it's more difficult to choose your words carefully. And then with respect to confessing, uh, I'm drawn to this all the time. Um, I have a friend that I did some schoolwork with, and his name is Amos Bollet. Uh, And he was the, and I think he still is, is the president of the Lutheran Church of Liberia. And Mm. uh, great guy, a wonderful guy. got to be really close to him through some schooling. And he told me a story once. He was at uh, one of his churches in Liberia, and it came time for the creed. And uh, and he said, the pastor, you know, he was uh, he was up helping officiate, and he said, let us confess our creed, and everybody uh, sat down and bowed their heads. And he stopped them. He said, no, 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 stop. Don't, don't bow your heads. Stand up and put your chins up and confess it like you mean it. And uh, we don't pray the creed. We we confess it. Our chin is up. Mm-hmm. And I tell mm-hmm. uh, the folks here at uh, St. Paul's that when we confess it, there should be a little bit of a, a spirit of defiance, a little bit of a little bit of aggression when we say it. It's 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 not a, a holy hush like I believe. It's no. It's I believe. There's some force behind it because it's what we believe, teach, and confess. This is the creed that we bleed and die upon. This is this is our Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. This is our Triune God, and we confess it boldly. Uh, so that we hear it out of each other's mouths in the church service and perhaps even out the windows into the streets. I can go back to President Forky from last week is because he broke this down very well. Obviously, I'm making a big sales pitch for last week's program, but he said this, that we confess our faith in Christ, one to the Lord, we confess exactly who he is, to one another so people know, to the world, meaning in general to the world, against the devil, exactly what you just said, is that when we confess it, the the devil does not want us to confess Christ clearly. So we confess it as almost like a be gone Satan type of moment. And then also to unbelievers as an evangelism tool. And that connects exactly what you're saying is this is not a, a prayer per se, it is a proclamation of the truth that we know from the scriptures because the word is truth and obviously Jesus is the truth. So pastor, let's stop talking about it and let's start confessing. Are you ready? Sounds great. All right. The the third article, once again, we're on page 17 of the Luther's with small Luther, Luther small catechism with explanation. And we'll begin with on page 17, the third article sanctification. I believe in the Holy spirit, the Holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. I heard one uh, professor say these words on this. He said, this confession of of faith on on the Holy Spirit basically says, I believe that I cannot believe. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, I mean, this is when we think about this idea of the human nature of the human, we, we oftentimes in our society have what we call, and these are some fancy, fancy theological words, but we have a, a high anthropology uh, in our society. In other words, 
if you if you look at the news or you look at um, commercials, you look at athletes, you look at uh, the spiritual slogans on coffee mugs, you look at all the self-help books, and they all say something to the effect that we have power within, um, that uh, somehow, some way, the reason why we make the mistakes that we make in this world is because we have untapped power. And if it's only up to us to go deep within our heart or within some untapped resource and we can actualize that potential within, then we can be somebody and blossom in this life. And uh, frankly, that's just false. I mean, it, it, it really is, biblically speaking and also practically speaking. And so when we look at our anthropology, that would be a high view of our anthropology, a high view of mankind and our abilities. Now, obviously, we can do certain things in this uh, realm, this, how we say it, this uh, horizontal realm of life. You know, we can, you know, cook food, we can make decisions with, uh, you know, what kind of car we're going to buy and and what time, what job that we have and so forth. But when it comes to things that matter, um, forgiveness, life and salvation, uh, we don't have the spiritual go-go juice, if you will, to to choose the Lord, to to accomplish anything on our own. We, we are dead in our sins and trespasses, as the Bible says. And so there's no progress from us towards God. And the progress has to be 100% from him to us. And so we cannot, by our own reason or strength, uh, we can't, you know, we can't think up the gospel on our own. It's not like we're like laying around and it's like, oh, you know what? I, I believe a gospel I've never heard of. That, that gospel has to come to us. It has to be poured into our ears. We have to be given faith. And so it is completely a work from the outside of us into us. And so, you know, left to ourselves, uh, we're, we're a sunk ship. We're, we're going down. We don't have, again, that spiritual capacity or that untapped potential within to somehow just, you know, ascend out of the darkness of our sins and climb some sort of spiritual ladder to get to our Lord Jesus Christ and say, ta-da, we're here. Uh, now you can, uh, you know, forgive us of our sins. No, he has to come all the way down, all the way down uh, to a dead corpse, uh, spiritually speaking, and breathe life into us. And he says very clearly, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. It's almost as if Luther is like, okay, I need to really make this clear that, okay, my reason is not going to do it. My strength, which we always think we're definitely stronger than we really are. And then just in case you're wondering, or come to him, because there's that natural tendency we all have to think, okay, at least I can take a half a step, right? Or I can do a little bit to get this, he's making very clear, no, it is all a gift. It is all God's work. So that at the end of the day, no one may boast um, even about faith because it is always his work. Now, why, why is it important that we understand very clearly that this is all a gift of the Lord? Is there a tendency that we might fall into quickly or other, I don't know, other heresies or issues? Well, this, this all comes back to the Reformation. I mean, if we think about it, you know, one of the things that uh, I was talking to a friend the other day about the uh, Reformation and, and you know, some of the different what we call solas, right? The onlys, right? Only Jesus, only faith, and only grace. And, you know, you can talk to a lot of people in this world. You talk about Jesus and you can be surprised. You find a lot of individuals who are very supportive of Jesus and a lot of people are very supportive of the idea of faith and and grace. Um, you know, we can have a lot of positive thoughts and, and a lot of good conversations on that. However, when you come along and you take Jesus and you put a period after Jesus, and you don't put a comma, but when you put a period and you say Jesus, period, then the old Adam, what we call the sinful nature, gets infuriated. The old Adam gets frustrated. When you say grace alone, grace, period, and not works, so in other words, you put grace and you put the word 
you know, not the word, but the, the punctuation period after grace or a full stop and you don't allow anything else, it irritates our sinful nature. Or when we say faith, that faith is a gift of God. It's not mankind's work. It's not something that you, uh, a spiritual energy that you attribute to towards God. But when faith is solely a gift of God that receives the good gifts of God, period, then the sinful nature gets frustrated. Now, here's the reason why this is important. Even though we don't like it, we, we actually don't like it. Our sinful nature doesn't like it. The problem with this is that our sinful nature wants to have its foot in the door to get in on this salvation work, to have to uh, to participate in the salvation. But the catch-22 is this. If salvation, let's just say salvation is 99% Jesus and 1% us, then the question comes, are we doing 100% of that 1%? And that's what the devil will go to work on. The devil will go to work on that 1% to erode our assurance uh, to 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 bleed into that assurance and to strip us of assurance in Christ. And so that's why it's so incredibly important to have it be all Jesus. So then when the devil attacks, we're just basically, well, take it up with Jesus. Jesus said that I'm saved. Jesus said he bled for me. He said that uh, he forgave forgives sinners. And so, you know, devil, take it up with him. Uh, I trust Jesus. He doesn't lie. His promises are true. He does it all for me, full stop, period. This is where we are. We were at a pastor's conference in late September and Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs from Concordia Seminary, well, retired now from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, just made the comment, well, Jesus said it and he is pretty good authority when he says it. <laughs> so so that's a Holy Spirit moment, too, that, you know, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives us, you know, this faith and we confess it by by the Holy Spirit. And, and when Jesus says it, well, we probably should believe it. And it's just a great reminder for us all the time that when he says I'm saved, well, you know, stop looking inside and start looking to the cross and the empty tomb. Stop looking at your works and start looking to the work of Christ instead of uh, just going down the laundry list of what you might or might not have done. Look to Christ. Right. And that's exactly what is happening through this. Believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. Now, it, it does give us then a list. Okay, I can't do it. But it does give us a lift, list of what the Holy Spirit does do, that he called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, and sanctified and kept me in the true faith. Can you break that part down for us? Because that it, it is pure gift. Can you break it down a bit? Well, it all comes down to, I mean, as you've already mentioned here, who's doing you know, who's doing the verbs, right? And and so the verbs, right? So I, I was terrible at English in high school. And gosh, I have to say that I really didn't understand language a whole lot until I suffered through taking Greek classes at seminary. And it was brutal, brutal Greek classes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for our listeners, just a review, you have a subject of a sentence, and then you have the verb, and then you have a direct object. So the subject is doing a verb towards the direct object. And the subject of, of all of these verbs is the Holy Spirit. It's not us. And so it's not us. And so the Holy Spirit, he what? He calls us through the gospel. He enlightens us. He, and he makes us holy and he keeps us. And so this is the Holy Spirit doing all the work from the very beginning to the very end. And in fact, we, you know, we maybe get a little ahead of ourselves here, but we talk about how he makes us holy in the Christian church and he keeps us, uh, keeps us with, with Jesus and then he resurrects us. And so this is the whole aspect of the Christian life from our births and our baptismal births, uh, being being given the Holy Spirit in baptism, the forgiveness of sins, all the way 
uh, to the grave, to the funerals, and then into the resurrection, even after death itself, that we will be resurrected with brand new bodies. And again, uh, the, the, the emphasis is the Holy Spirit doing these verbs to us as direct objects. And so we're recipients of these great gifts. And again, that's, that's very problematic when, when, we, when we have an inflated view of ourself. Uh, we don't like this. Um, but I would say, boy, you know, what happens when our view of mankind, when, when life hits us and we get knocked on our back and we realize we can't do it, God be praised that we realize we can't. Then when we realize we can't, these verses really come alive or these, 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 uh, this confession becomes really alive, showing us all along that's all always has been and always will be the Holy Spirit working through that word uh, to call us, enlighten us, make us holy and keep us and resurrect us. Now, all this language about what the Holy Spirit does is great. And I want to be able to engage this question that I know you've heard many times and that I've heard as pastors is, okay, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so let me tell you a story. I was at, I was in the mountains and I went and hiked on top of the mountain. And there I just felt the Holy Spirit when I was up there, when I was just looking around, I felt the Holy Spirit. Now, Pastor, that brings up a question. Hmm, how is that different than a Metallica concert or whatever it might be? How do we know that it's the Holy Spirit that is doing the work? Or how do we know that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is, is doing, doing these things? Because it could just be a fun concert. Or how do we know the Holy Spirit is anything? How do we know? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely 100% correct. You know, how do we know? Um, now, Here's the scary thing. We have to understand, yes, there's the Holy Spirit, but the scriptures also tell us that there's also other spirits out there. And uh, this should make us shudder a little bit, that there are evil spirits out there that uh, want to seek and kill and destroy our faith and lead us down to deception and so forth. And so we have to be very, very clear. Now, the problem with that is we assume that we have the ability to discern this uh, in of ourselves. And again, that would be coming back to this idea of having a high view of mankind um, that we have the spiritual maturity and wisdom to do that in our own strength. and But frankly, it's just I, we're not that smart. We're not that gifted as human beings, as much as we like to think. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, uh, a general uh, way of thinking about this is, is pretty straightforward. We could say it this way. We could say um, that the word without the Spirit, and when I say the word, that means the word of God. The word of God without the Spirit is just mere human words. Okay. And furthermore, we could say a spirit without the word of God is not the revealing spirit. So in other words, if you have a spirit and there's no word of God, right? No, no scripture, no God breathed word, then boy, I, I would shudder and say, what kind of spirit are we dealing with? Um, that, that should actually strike fear into us. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, if we have a word, uh, words, but no spirit, then it's just human words, nothing more than a cookbook or a instruction guide manual. I mean, this is not that's not not the holy word of God. What make, make makes God's word holy is it is that you you have where you find the word, you find the spirit, and where you find the spirit, you find the word. And so that is a, a way of us thinking about this to guard ourselves from oh geez, all sorts of problems that just lead us into absolute chaos. One, one, Dr. John Kleinig, who I reference quite often on, well, all the programs I've been part of, spoke very much so about how do you know the spirit is there is simply this. When you go to worship, 
and assuming they're using the word of God and they're administering the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper and the forgiveness of sins is there. There's the Holy Spirit. And he said, often then a student in Australia or other people will ask, but what if I don't feel it? <laughs> and he would say, the Holy Spirit's at work, even if your feelings don't change, because it's not about, once again, the onus is not on us, but it's on God, something outside of ourselves that is is put into us by that word of God. So any reflections on that? Because often we are so intricate to the feeling portion of that and the Holy Spirit, not to deny feelings, but just to say we make them one to one, which is dangerous as well. Yeah, I, I would say, first of all, you know, when we if we talk about the Holy Spirit apart from the word of God, um, not trying to be cruel, but this is what we would classify as a mystic, what we call a mystic. And a mystic can can see signs and wonders in every little thing, and it's just a vicious cycle. Then uh, you're always having these knee jerk reactions to anything that uh, maybe catches us off guard, or we, we we look for signs and wonders in the most mysterious things. And so again, when we disconnect the word from the spirit, uh, we go down that path. But then with respect to uh, feelings and so forth, yeah, we definitely do not negate feelings, but feelings are a byproduct, a result. Uh, but we do not trust in our feelings. We're captive not to our feelings. We're captive to the word of God. And where we find the word again is we find the spirit at work. And so uh, properly stated, when when the Holy Spirit's at work, uh, we will be hearing about Jesus. And I just love it in the Gospels. When you read the Gospels, uh, especially chapters 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John, uh, you mm. hear that uh, the Holy Spirit uh, points to Jesus and then what does Jesus do? He points to the Father. What does the Father do? He points to Jesus. I mean, it's just it's just awesome. And so uh, one could perhaps uh, say that we could say it this way, that when you're hearing about Jesus and you are saying, yes, thank you, Jesus, and you have that assurance in Jesus, there you have the word and there you have the Holy Spirit at work, the Holy Spirit lifting up Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. Well, I want to talk about this on the other side of our break and to kind of talk about uh, uh, this, this statement that I heard one time is that as Lutherans, are we able to say that when I go to church on Sunday that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? But right now we need to take our break. We are studying the third article of the Creed and Luther's Fall Catechism with Pastor Matthew Richard and we'll be right back. Hello friends, I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back. We are studying the third article of the Creed and Luther Small Catechism with Pastor Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Now, Pastor, I want to read the next paragraph and ask that question that I brought forward before our break. And this, once again, we're on page 17 of Luther Small Catechism, the 2017 version. The second paragraph reads, in the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth, and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Now, I do want to get to the word keep 
uh, for, I want to get there. But right now I want to ask this question of you, Pastor, is I heard one person say, well, as a Lutheran, we can say when we go to worship or we're in Bible study that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, which is often not a Lutheran way of speaking, but can we say that and still be a faithful Lutheran? Yeah, words are tricky. I mean, you know, when you say, <laughs> well, I mean, it, 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 there's so much baggage that we can have on words. Like, for instance, I can say the word faith, and depending on if you're a Lutheran or if you are a Pentecostal or somebody else, you're going to have all these presuppositions that you bring to it. So, I mean, perhaps maybe we think of it this way. Uh, I think kind of maybe one of the key spots to think about this would be the book of Acts, chapter 2. And uh, we, we hear this is the time of Pentecost. And so uh, we hear about them being given the Holy Spirit. And, and oftentimes this is taught in the church that, oh my goodness, these Christians, uh, these disciples, they receive the Holy Spirit for the first time. And, and it, the text doesn't say that, though. And so uh, we would want to properly understand Acts 2, you know, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, think of it this way, that that they definitely had the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that they did not have the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't mean that everybody in the Old Testament was, you know, spiritless, that they did not have the Holy Spirit. Uh, but what we see in Acts 2, when they were given the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came, it was the Holy Spirit coming uh, temporarily to equip them uh, for the future there, for that particular time. And so, if you receive the Holy Spirit, we oftentimes think, oh, I received the Holy Spirit, that then I therefore did not have the Holy Spirit before. But it's the same right. thing. We receive these good gifts. We receive them over and over and over again. Uh, our faith is continually strengthened every time we hear the gospel. And so that's the reason why the gospel never becomes old. You can hear it and say, amen. You hear it 10 minutes later, amen. You hear it again and again, and it strengthens faith, the gospel itself. And so are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes, absolutely. Can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Yes. Amen. Mm -hmm. Bring the gifts on, right? And give me some more is probably a good statement after that. Now, it does say an important word in both of these first two paragraphs that doesn't just say, he's called me, he's enlightened me, he's made me holy. Um, maybe we need to touch on that a little more. But it also says, and kept me in the true faith. This is important for our world today because we see a lot of people who grew up in the church and then they walk away. Um, so does that mean the Holy Spirit's not at work? Or how do we how do we reconcile that as Christian people? Yeah, I, I would say that the word keep, I mean, maybe just to slow down and to think about that word keep, I, I think there's a huge misconception in the American church right now. And this is actually one of my bigger criticisms of the church. And that is this, is that we get the signs, this mindset of, um, how do we think of it? We think of it a linear linear way of thinking. And again, many things are linear, but but we kind of think of it like, you know, a production line or a, of a factory. You bring in the raw goods and then you 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 make a frame and then you put some tires and then you put some, you know, windows and and uh, you know, an engine and then you spit it out at the end and you you uh, have a car and then that car takes off and drives into the sunset. And we can think of the church many times that way that I get baptized and then I get, you know, I baptized and I'm saved or I make it in our American Christianity, I make a decision for Christ or something like that. And then, and then, okay, I got Jesus. So good. I got the Holy spirit. Good. And now I have to progress onto something else. And then we move on to bigger and better things. Uh, I, I just don't see that kind of thinking in the scriptures. We see Jesus saying over and over and over, um, abide, 
right? And we think about Mm -hmm. the vine and the branches, you know, abide with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, In other words, stay put. Uh, Paul talks this way in the epistles, especially to the uh, pastoral epistles of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, uh, keep the sound doctrine. He doesn't say go out and obtain sound doctrine, go find it. Uh, it's, It's to keep that which you've been given. And so for us in the church, Oftentimes, we are tempted to believe that once I have Jesus, once I've been given the Holy Spirit and and the Holy Word, that I have to move somewhere, that I have to go to some other uh, peak, some mountaintop experience. But I would argue that we need to stay put, that the problem is not that we don't get to a peak. The problem is, like that old hymn says, that we're prone to wander, we're prone to leave the God that we love. And so our prayer is not, Lord God, take me to some, you know, peak and some other, you know, uh, mystical experience away from you but help me to stay put in the holy ark of your Christian church. Uh, keep me in your good graces. Keep me in your gifts. Keep me centered and abiding in you. Uh, help me to stay put. Help Keep me from wandering to uh, you know, the, where the grass we think is greener on the other side. Help me to stay put with the gifts that you have for me. And so the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. keeps us in the church as the gifts of the word and sacrament are given to us and our faith is strengthened. But unfortunately, uh, because of that sinful nature, that sinful nature just cannot stay put. And that sinful nature uh, sees that the grass is so-called greener on the other side or sees something flashy. And that sinful nature causes us to, pr- to be prone to wander and prone to leave the God that we love. And so then w- when we understand repentance, well, repentance is just coming back to where we belong, where we're baptized, uh, back to the holy ark of the, tr- the, of the Christian church. And it's interesting, as you, as you said that, I have that tendency as well. It's okay. I've I've been doing that. Now I'll do this and I'll do this and then I'll get better and better and better without understanding the fullness of the gospel that I receive, the fullness of of God's work, which is complete and done in Christ. And to allow that to be a comfort and something to lean on as opposed to something to try to add to as well, which is why, you know, it's good for us to know that the Holy Spirit, as as you said, amen, um, is that period which reminds us that Jesus Christ is Lord, period. Don't try to keep adding. Don't don't put butts on this where there's a period. And it continually pointing us to keeping us with him in the one true faith. Now, Pastor, I do want to take a step back because it does bring up a word. It shows up right below the word, the, th- the, the words, the third article. It says sanctification. Luther highlights it and says, enlightens me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. And also speaks about the church, that he sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. That word is churchy language. What does it mean to sanctification or sanctify? Yeah, uh, Luther talks about this in the large catechism, and he talks about this whole article can be given the title of being made holy. And to be holy is to be set apart. To be holy is to be forgiven. Uh, to be holy is to receive God's gifts. And so, we we have to we have to make sure that we 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 don't go down this path of thinking that holiness is something that is mankind earned, right? That's something that we earn or something that we accomplish, uh, something that we achieve. Holiness is something that is God given. Holiness is applied to us. And so when we're baptized, we're made holy, we're declared holy. And uh, when we receive the sacrament, we are receiving the forgiveness of sins and we are what? Declared holy. And so the reason why the Holy Spirit gathers us 
and centers us and keeps us in the church is because it is in that church, uh, the body of believers in that church, in the midst of that church, that we receive his word and sacrament. And so then, then maybe you may say to yourself, well, then what about this idea of doing good works? Well, good works are done because we are declared holy. We don't do good works to become a Christian or become holy. We do good works because we already are Christians. We're already holy. And so the sanctified life is is living out this holiness. And so you know, when it comes down to when we do sin, uh, which we do every single day, I mean, all the time, then we confess it because it's not compatible with our holiness that we've been given. And so then when I fail my wife or when I fail my kids or when I fail my parish, I can look at it and say, my goodness, you know, this is this is the old Adam, the sinful nature at work again, but it's not who I am. Uh, I was purchased from darkness unto light. Jesus shed his blood for me. Uh, the Holy Spirit has called me unto the gospel. I've received the word and sacrament. I am one of God's holy children. And so then we repent of our sin and we simply are drugged back to our baptisms, centered again in God's grace until the next day. Now, think about this way. I know Luther has these, these really neat prayers, the morning prayer and the evening prayer. I just love the morning prayer. He says uh, in the Luther's morning prayer, uh, Lord God, uh, keep me from sinning this day. And then when you get to the end of the night, you pray Luther's evening prayer. It's, uh, hey, Lord, forgive me for all this that I've committed. <laughs> and Come it's on, give us a chance, you know, yeah, give us a chance. Bring us back, just bring us back to to center us and abiding in Jesus. And so, so again, holiness is something that is given to us. Uh, it is something that's applied to us. And holiness is being given the gifts of God, forgiven in Jesus. And then because we're holy, what? We do holy things. And when we don't, we repent. And I love that that language that's very, very key is abide, that that this keeping is abiding. And while as God in, in Christ is holy, therefore we're abiding in him and therefore we're made holy on account of Christ and by his gifts. And so it's this constant reality of our need for grace and the grace that we already have, the forgiveness that we are forgiven, but the forgiveness we continually need and how he graciously pours that upon us, well, as we need it every single day. And that's, like you said, those prayers are are so powerful for us to remember every single day um, that it is uh, dying and rising. Now, Pastor, I, I, there's so much we could cover here, but anything else you want to highlight in those first two paragraphs of the third article? Well, I, I would say uh, I'm just kind of drawn to an old illustration and uh, an old illustration of another pastor that he once said, and he goes something like this. He said, you know, uh, imagine coming to a college campus as a freshman in college and you show up and there's a big sign and it says free pizza. And uh, you're like, oh my goodness, that's great, free pizza. But then the next question you're going to have, if that's all that the sign says is free pizza, the next question you're going to have is what? Where? Okay, mm-hmm. Where is it? Uh, we have the gift of the church. And what makes the church the church? No, the church, is, that, that word church itself is just a, a gathering. It, it, it's, it's an old uh, Greek word that means just a gathering of people. But what makes the church special? And we gather in the church, not for the sake of just gathering. I mean, we could do that at a, you know, we could do that at the YMCA. We could do that at a local pub. We could do that any any place. But why do we gather in the church? We gather around a thing, and that is Christ and his gifts. And the Holy Spirit gathers us and calls us into that church so that we might be receivers. Um, I, I, love, I, have a, I have an old friend that once said, he said, you know, when it all comes down to it, he said, we Christians, we're just, 
we're just a bunch of beggars telling the other beggars where the free warm bread is. And that's what evangelism is, inviting people to come to church to receive free warm bread with us as beggars. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful to think of it that way. And so so what makes the, the, the church the church? Uh, we gather in that church. Uh, we are called into that church to receive God's, go- God's good gifts, to be made holy, to be sustained and abide um, until our death and the resurrection. And that's a reminder. It, it, it really takes the, the, the fear away from us. And because there's so much like, oh, my gosh, what if I don't say it right? What if I don't do it right? Any of that. But the, really the message is simple. It's very creedal of our understanding of who God is. That's why the creed, once again, is a powerful evangelism tool where it just tells us about a God who loves everything, everybody and everything because he created it all, who then realized that the, that the depth of sin that was there and, and died for all and therefore has given us a way for us to be able to believe in all these good gifts that he has given to us. And so it, it the, the creed is such a powerful reality. And what did you say? It's like telling um, a, a, a beggar that there's warm bread available to them. I mean, something like that. Say yeah, that again. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I don't know where I heard this from. It's from a, either from a book or a friend. It's one of those things that stuck with me. And it's just something to the effect that evangelism is just one beggar telling the other beggar where the free warm bread is. And gosh, if you think of it this way, the church is that one place. I mean, think about this. The church is that one place that you can go consistently Every weekend, let's just start every weekend, every weekend, and you're going to be given the forgiveness of sins. At least you should be. I mean, if a church is doing the job right and the pastor is doing the job mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. is that that you go on Sundays and you can have a week from absolute chaos. And let's just say everything's going back backwards. And and uh, uh, just pardon me how I say this, but let's just say all hell has broken loose in your life. The church is that one place where you can go and you can beat your breast and say, you know what? I have sinned and thought word indeed. My life is a mess and you can receive the forgiveness of sins and hear about Jesus consistently every Sunday. And then if that's not enough, which it is, uh, you can go during the middle of the week and you can talk to your pastor and your pastor will be so overjoyed to what? To pour Jesus into your ears by pronouncing the forgiveness of sins, hearing confession and giving you the gospel. Uh, And that church is that one place in this mass crazy world of all of its accusations and all of its stumbling and all of its taking where that church gives sinners the gospel. Well, let's hear more about that because, well, (laughs) we put a period there, but we still have 15 minutes to go. So, okay, page 18 on the small catechism, it continues on to speak about the church and the last day. So let's read the next paragraph, page 18. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. He he emphasizes two words very clearly, daily and richly, that he does this forgiveness over and over and over again. Pastor, what do you want to highlight in these powerful words? You know, the forgiveness of sins is not just a one-time thing. Uh, because we daily sin, we daily need the rich medicine of the gospel. Uh, because we're sin sick, I mean, this this is one of the things that we we have to wrestle with, is that um, we have this sinful nature till the day that we die. Unfortunately, we do. And uh, this is a whole Romans seven thing. The very good that I want to end up doing, um, I end up not doing the very good. I end up doing the very thing that I despise. And then Paul goes on, "Who will save me from this body of sin and death?" Thanks be to God, it's Jesus Christ, right? And so, this daily forgiveness 
is because we daily sin and there's no limit of it. And not only is it daily, this forgiveness of Jesus, but it is rich. It's a rich forgiveness. Uh, it's been said before, and I, I don't know who said it, but it's it's one of those things that have stuck in my mind. Uh, and it goes something like this, that there is more forgiveness in Jesus than there is sin in us. Uh, that's just That just makes my soul jump mm. for joy. So you talk about emotions that... You know, our listeners, when we hear that, that that should that should excite us. I mean, think about that. There is more forgiveness in Jesus than there is sin in us. And so the Christian church, in this Christian church, we're daily, yes, daily and richly forgiven of all of our sins. Uh, because, yeah, again, there's more forgiveness in Jesus than there is sin in us. I did hear uh, Pastor Will Whedon say that comment one time when he was leading a worship service, is that as we gather today, there will be more forgiveness than there is sin. And that, that that struck me in the same. He probably heard from somebody else who told that person has been going around for a while. But it is a, a great reminder that when you come to worship that you I mean, there's no questions of whether or not there's forgiveness there. And especially as, as we believe as, as, as Lutheran Christians, that that's one of our main purposes. This goes to John chapter 20 uh, when Jesus gives the office of the keys to the church, that this is who we are. This is what we do. And the Holy Spirit is what leads that and gives that to us, and he does it every single day. So I do challenge you, our listeners, to maybe go to your pastor this week and say, you know what, um, outside of church even, say, you know what, pastor, I just I just need to hear the words for forgiveness again and and receive it. I mean, I, two things. One, your pastor loves to do it because that's why you call them there. And two, it's so good to hear that warm bread as you said before, which did you say there's butter on this bread? I can't remember. <laughs> right. Right. Maybe it's banana <laughs> bread, right? Uh, right. All yeah, the warm right, oven. Exactly. <laughs> so pastor, anything else you want to highlight in that? Uh, that's a short paragraph we have. Yeah, yeah. I would say daily and richly just, you know, like you said, we, we got to be careful. We just don't jump over that. And I mean, daily that's, that means the gospel is fresh for us every day. And so it's not like a, there's like a limitation. No, we, we also have to keep in mind that, I mean, the sinful nature is going to come along and say, oh my goodness, it's daily. So that means I can what? I can keep on sinning daily. That's um, that's the voice of the old Adam. So we have to be very, very clear on that. That's our sinful nature abusing the gospel. That's not that's not the fault of the gospel. And so sometimes I, we've, we've run into this in, in the past. I have as a pastor where some people are saying, well, you know what? You better be careful on how much grace that you preach and how much gospel is given out because then then people might think it's a license to sin. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. That would then mean that the gospel in and the forgiveness of sins is responsible and guilty for causing people to sin. Is that what we're saying? No, we're not. We're not saying that. We, we can't say that. We can't actually. The sinful nature is to blame. The sinful nature is taking advantage of, a, of that good gift and it's abusing, the sinful nature is abusing that good gift. And so what needs to happen there? We need to be smacked with the law to be shown how we are uh, manipulating the Lord and 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 go in the way of idolatry and repent again and hear the forgiveness of sins. So uh, daily and richly, yes, absolutely. And we don't hold back on that because guess what? Uh, Christ did not hold back on that cross for us. Now, it doesn't end with just with our daily walk is we have that reality that all of us, as we are dead in our sin, will pass on from this earth, that we will die. And, and so we have to have a greater hope, which is why I love, although short, it, it, it shows us this great hope that we all have in life or in death. When he says this last paragraph on the last day, 
He will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. Pastor, he that's capitalized last day. What is he speaking about last day? Yeah, this is going to be what we call, I love this word. It's just fun to say the, the, the great eschaton, the very last day. Mm. And so I mean, think of it this way. Um, either we will see Jesus when we are resurrected from our grave six feet under, or he'll come before our death. Uh, either way, it's good. And so, but let's just assume that we die before Jesus comes back. And so when we die, our body and soul, they separate from each other. What makes us alive is body and soul together. Then our body and soul separates. Our soul goes to be with Jesus in paradise, and our body is laid to rest in a holy tomb, a holy grave, to await the resurrection. Then on the last day, uh, we will be raised. And so body and soul will come back together again, kind of like Humpty Dumpty putting us back together again. Uh, mm -hmm. But we're put back together again, and we're given a, a renewed body, a 2.0 body. Uh, without the blemish of sin, and our and 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 so we're, we're resurrected body and soul together uh, to live with an eternity with our Lord, uh, where there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, and so this is such great hope for us in the midst of death. We've had we've had uh, boy three funerals in the last ten to twelve days here at St. Paul's, and so I'm I'm a little weary um, just from from tiredness from being a pastor in the midst of the trenches there. But the hope of the gospel that when we lay our loved ones to rest, that we will see them, that that flesh will rise again, but without the perishable qualities of sin and that there will be body and soul put back together again. That's the hope of the resurrection, that there is life beyond the grave. And so that's why many times we Christians talk about um, our loved ones sleeping because sleeping implies that you will what? You'll awake someday and boy, will we ever, we will be resurrected. And it does say just there, there's, there's a lot of truth packed into this. So we speak about as believers that we not only will have eternal life when Jesus returns, but we'll have a whole new body. I've never, I haven't heard someone say that the body 2.0, the perfect body that our Lord would give us when, as Christ rose, we will rise. But it does say that all the dead will be raised that day, which is, I think, an aspect that we don't think about. We think, oh, disbelievers will be raised and that'll be the end of it. Um, but it says all the dead. And any thoughts on that? That's a little bit of an insert that I think is important for us to remember. Yeah, and I've, we've had a lot of good conversations on this uh, with confirmation and uh, uh, Yes, all the dead will be raised, but some will be raised unto eternal life and others to eternal condemnation. So, I, you know, I've had the confirmation kids say to me, you know, Pastor, what, uh, boy, you know, what happens with, you know, those that are what rejected Jesus? Well, they will be raised too. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. And so we will be, you know, we will be bowing out of sheer joy. I, I just, I, I'm just imagining when I'm resurrected and I'll be kneeling before our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, we'll be, you know, we'll be kneeling together and I'll be giggling. I'll, I'll just be not containing my giggles of how excited I will be and, and then <laughs> bowing my head and confessing with my tongue. But that's going to be out of everlasting joy. Others will be raised uh, with these perishable bodies and these, these, these bodies marred by sin. And they will be confessing unto what? Unto, uh, unto fear uh, that, that they are being um, judged. Uh, we think about, 
tragically, we think about this 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 judgment. There's a great judgment where the uh, sheep and the goats are actually separated, and that's that's a it's a difficult thing to consider, but but it is true. So everybody will be raised, uh, some to eternal life and some to eternal condemnation, uh, which drives us to should drive us to repentance and to rush into the arms of Jesus uh, for that for that that assurance and that hope that he has paid it all. As you look at the last words, this is most certainly true. He ends each part of the creed with those words. I've highlighted this. I, I know of a, I heard of a pastor that supposedly at the, at the end of every sermon would say, well, at least that's my opinion. But Luther doesn't do that. He says, this is most certainly true, which sounds kind of arrogant. Pastor, with about four minutes left in our time, I want to ask you this first. What is, he, what is he saying and what is he confessing by ending, this is most certainly true? It, it's it's an affirmation. I mean, think about the word amen. You know, oftentimes we just look at the word amen and amen is just, uh, you know, it's just a way that signifies that we're done praying. But amen is the voice of the church. It's the voice of the church affirming with what was just said. So when we proclaim the gospel, and I hear the gospel, Christ Jesus died for all of your sins and he has forgiven you and he cleanses you and he will raise you on the last day, then you say, amen. And that amen is what? That is certainly true. It's a statement of assurance. It's a statement of confidence. It's a statement in believing and trusting in the promises to be true. And so, yeah, to end the sermon, you know, well, that's at least my opinion. Boy, what... Boy, that's just that's just that just makes my heart sad. I mean, think about the assurance that you're robbing from uh, the flock uh, itself. Uh, no, we 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 believe what we teach and confess because the scriptures uh, say it to be true, and the one that speaks it rose from the dead. And so we'd say, yes, this is most certainly true. Um, I, w- I would say that if if we're part of a church uh, and and we've studied the scriptures. Uh, we should be able to clearly say, yeah, this is most certainly true. And if you can't say that, if it's if it's if somebody else is in a different church body, um, well, let me back it up and say it this way. I've had some people say, well, you Lutheran Church, Missouri Center folks, you think you're right. And I'm like, well, well yeah, I think absolutely we believe you're right. Don't you think you're right? Because if you don't think you're right in your church, then what are you doing in your church? Of course we think we're right. We, we, we have assurance in this. We have confidence in this. Uh, this is the clear doctrine of the scriptures. Uh, it's not a statement of arrogance, it's a statement of confidence, a statement of joy, a statement of uh, proclaiming what is true for us and for the entire world. Pastor, with about a minute and a half left in our time, how would you summarize this article on the Holy Spirit and encourage our listeners in Christ? Well, I think it, it really comes back to that whole idea that we had before about who's doing the verbs. And this is the Holy Spirit doing verbs on us. And the verbs are what? Simply this making us holy, uh, that we are to be what? Being made holy uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit who works through this this marvelous word uh, to bring us into the church, to sustain us in the church, and to uh, strengthen us in this church and to carry us all the way to that grave. And not, not just the grave, but to the grave and then to the hope of the resurrection. And so this captures our life. In these, this short part of the creed, this captures the life of the Christian, uh, called and gathered, enlightened and sustained, and uh, uh, tucked into our graves to await the resurrection, uh, and then on to eternal life. So, being made holy, uh, being His precious children, selected, uh, chosen, and forgiven uh, today and forevermore. All we can say is Amen. Pastor Matthew Richard of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. 
clearly confessing the truth. As it says, this is most certainly true of our triune God from the third article of the Creed. Pastor Richard, thank you for your faithful teaching with us on Concord Matters. Hey, thank you, Brady. It's good to be here. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.